like to invite all of you to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Revelations. We're going to be reading from chapter 22, verses 2 through 5. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life, which barely, or excuse me, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads. And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun. For the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. This time, our brother Dean will bring us God's message. If you'd kindly bow your heads with me before we begin. Our loving God, this morning we're thankful again to be in your house to worship you. Bless our thoughts this morning. Bless everything that is read from the scripture so that we may go from here to share your gospel with everyone we meet. In Jesus' name, amen. Our theme today will be the great I am's of Scripture and also a short story that will be repeated. There's a minister friend of mine, theologian and a preacher, who years ago was with his little boy. They were walking off through the forest, and it was evening time, and the farther they went on this particular journey seemed to be the colder it got and the darker it got. The trees were closer together and it began to be a little bit mysterious. And the little boy looked up at his father and said, Daddy, we're not afraid, are we? The father said, No, son, we're not afraid. We'll come back to the story again. I was absolutely amazed at the number of times in the Old Testament alone where these eternal words were used in Scripture. I am. They were used 300 times in the Old Testament, 99 times in the New Testament. I'd like to explore that this morning. Let us remember this thought. All heaven and the universe are interested in the cross of Christ and the great I am. Satan and all his angels are terrified of it. When there are many men and women who are indifferent to its deepest meaning and salvation. Let me repeat that. All heaven and the universe are interested in the cross of Christ and the great I am. Satan and all his angels are terrified of it when many women and men are indifferent to its deepest meaning of salvation. The great I am will not and cannot forget us because every one of our names are graven on the palm of his hands. The great I am is involved as we are in the greatest battle ever known, the great controversy. Let's read about it in its beginning. 
Isaiah 14, verse 12 onward. Isaiah 14, verse 12 onward. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou, hast, yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms? How many times do you find the word I in those verses? You don't find I am, you just find the word I. Then let's go on to Luke 10:18, where Jesus said in the red, red letter edition of your Bible, these words, he was now in human form, a mixture of God and man. But in Luke 10:18, he said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Jesus, who is just as much God as though not man, and just as much man as though he's not God. He somehow seemed to remember seeing Satan fall from heaven. He must have remembered that he witnessed that event. So then we come to Revelation 12:7, And there was war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out with that old servant called the devil, and Satan which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused day and night. This is the backdrop of the great I am's in scripture. Let's start with Exodus 3, verse 6 and onward. Exodus 3. We'll actually start with verse 1. I, I wish to use my main Bible I use, um, with few exceptions, is the King James Bible. Just recently, I came upon a new translation of the Bible called The Voice. It was just published last year, 2012. The name of this tr Bible is The Voice. It, it isn't a paraphrase. It's a true translation. I'd like to just read a few words in the introduction of this Bible so you get a flavor for the ones that worked on this for so many years and what they thought about their significance of their task. I speak for every artist, musician, editor, and writer, and scholar involved in this project when I tell you that we are all honored to have a small part in the sacred work of translating the scriptures. It has been an honor to have labored and studied, fasted and prayed over the work that we believe God has placed before us. We have not taken the task lightly, and to the process we have been changed. We have been changed, they say. We are thrilled to see the ways that God uses his word to speak to his people and reveal himself to those who had never heard his voice clearly. 
As you engage in this story, you may experience a strange feeling that may be best described as a vague sense that you are being followed or pursued. If so, your instincts are correct. The pursuit is one of the distinguishing characteristics of the Christian faith. This is the story of God's relentless pursuit of us. Some religions invite seekers to study a new language before they can read their sacred text. Then they are asked to chase after a God that dwells in the heavens. But those of us who walk in the path of Jesus are able to read the truth about God for ourselves. You may experience a strange instinct that somebody is following you. And then the writers say, yes, that is true. God pursues us relentlessly. So I'd like to start off this morning with the three great IMs, the three the, the great IMs of Scripture, and read the first beginning of this in Exodus three, in this new translation of, of the Bible. Exodus three, verse one and onward. Now one day when Moses was shepherding the flock of his father in law Jethro, the priest of Midian, he guided the flock far away from its usual pastures to the other side of the desert and came to a place known as Horeb, where the mountain of God stood. There the special messenger of the Eternal One appeared to Moses in a fiery blaze from within the bush. Moses looked again at the bush as it blazed, but to his amazement the bush did not burn up in flames. Moses to himself, why is this bush not burning up? I need to move a little closer to get a better look at this amazing sight. When the Eternal One saw Moses approach the burning bush to observe it more closely, he called him out from within the bush. The Eternal One said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, well, I'm right here. The Eternal One said, don't come any closer. Take off your sandals and stand barefoot on the ground in my presence, for this ground is holy ground. I am the true God, the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. A feeling of dread and awe rushed over Moses. He hid his face because he was afraid to, he might catch a glimpse of the true God. Eternal One then says, I have seen how my people in Egypt are being mistreated. I have heard their groaning when the slave drivers torment and harass them, for I know well their suffering. I have come to rescue them from the oppression of the Egyptians, to lead them from the land where they are slaves, and to give them a good land, a wide open space flowing with milk and honey. The land is currently inhabited by the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. The plea of Israel's children has come before me, and I have observed the cruel treatment that they have suffered by Egyptian hands. So go. I'm sending you back to Egypt as my messenger to the Pharaoh. I want you to gather my people, the children of Israel, and bring them out of Egypt. Then Moses says to God, Who am I to confront Pharaoh and lead Israel's children out of Egypt? But the Eternal One says back to Moses, Do not fear, Moses. I will be with you every step of the way. And this will be the sign to you that I am the one who has sent you. After you have led them out of Egypt, you will return to this mountain and worship God. Then Moses says, Let's say I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your fathers has sent me to rescue you. 
And then they reply, what is his name? What shall I tell them? Eternal one says, I am who I am. This is what you should tell the people of Israel. I am has sent me to rescue you. This is what you are to tell Israel's people, the eternal, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob is the one who has sent me to you. Then listen to these next words. This is my name forevermore. And this is the name by which all future generations shall remember me. So I think this morning we're partly fulfilling that prophecy because it says, the Lord talking to Moses, this is my name forevermore, the great I am, and this is the name by which all future generations shall remember me. That was from The Voice, the New Bible Translation. There are many references in the Old Testament, as I alluded to earlier, at least 400 of them. This morning we just have time to touch down briefly on a few of them. Uh, We have in Numbers 15.41, I am the Lord your God, which brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord your God. Over and over again to the first five books of the Bible and on into the prophets and the minor prophets, these words, I am, comes to us. God must have had a reason for reminding us over and over again that his name is the great I am. Deuteronomy 142, I am the Lord, said unto me, say unto them, go not up neither and neither fight, for I am not among you, lest ye be smitten before your enemies. In other words, when the, God told the children of Israel to move forward in a certain project, he sent them with the words, I am has sent you. 5.6 Deuteronomy, I am the Lord thy God which brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. We go next to Psalms, starting with 35.3, I am thy salvation, and verses all through the next, next of Psalms. I am thy God, I will be exalted among the heathen, I will be exalted in the earth. I am God, even thy God. I am the Lord, thy God. And it goes on and on through the book of Psalms. The Song of Solomon has a beautiful, beautiful rendition of this. And Song of Solomon 2 verse 1. I am, I am the rose of Sharon and the lily of the valley. To what purpose, we have Isaiah 1 11. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith the Lord? I am full of burnt offerings and rams. You see, they had lost sight of what God was all about. And it just became a matter of routine for them. And God hated that. We have Isaiah 41.10. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee, yea, I will uphold thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. Isaiah 42.8, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another, neither my praise to any graven image. Go on to 43 verse 11, I, even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions. 
for mine own sake. This is from Isaiah 43, 25. Let's read that again. I am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake. Isn't that something? He blots out our sins for his own sake. And I will not remember thy sins. My friend, what more do you want? God telling us that he will not remember our sins. And he blots them out. There's so many. Isaiah 45, 5 and 6. I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. We have this famous verse in Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth. And I am God and there is none else. You know, that verse became famous for many reasons, just one of which was Charles Spurgeon. When he was a young boy in his late teens, 20s, in that age group, he uh, was searching for God. He was in London, England. One snowy morning, he went out on his way to a certain church. It was a blinding snowstorm, and he couldn't get to the church he was going to. But he noticed a little Methodist chapel off on one side street, so he went in there. There were just a few people in there because of the storm. And the preacher of that church couldn't get there that day because of the snowstorm. So a layman stood up. Some thought it was an old shoe cobbler, but anyway, he was a layman. He got up and he didn't have much to say, but he had this verse to say. And Spurgeon was sitting up on the balcony. And he started preaching from this verse, Look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. The preacher had few words, but he kept saying this verse over and over. And then somehow he spotted Spurgeon up there, and he shouted to him, Young man, look unto me, and be ye saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. And Spurgeon, at that moment in time, had a conversion of his soul. He had been searching and searching and searching. He went to churches where they preached this and they preached that. They preached something else and preached something else. But finally in the snowstorm, in a church he wasn't supposed to be in, with a preacher who wasn't supposed to be there, (laughs) he heard these words and it converted that young man and the rest is history. Isaiah 46, 9 For I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. The theme goes over and over again. We now go to Jeremiah 8.20. The harvest is past, and the summer is ended, and we are not saved. Some of the saddest words in the whole scripture for those people who, during their probation time on this earth, choose not to accept the gracious invitation of our Lord. We now go to Jeremiah 32:27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. As is there anything too hard for me? God asks an obvious question that has an obvious answer. There is nothing too hard for the Lord. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? We come to the the prophets Malachi has a special word for us this morning from Malachi 3.6. For I am, hear those words again, I am the Lord, I change not. I am the Lord and I change not. 
We come to the New Testament, Matthew 17, 5. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Here God the Father is using that same term, now looking down on that scene, Mount Transfiguration with Jesus. I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Mark one eleven, And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's with the time of Jesus' baptism. God using those 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 words again, the I am words. Then in Matthew in Mark eight twenty seven onward, and Jesus went out and his disciples into the towns of Caesarea Philippi, and by the way, he asked his disciples, saying unto them, Whom do men say I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, but some say you're Elias, and others say you're one of the prophets. But Jesus knowing their heart, got right to the point. And he said unto them, But whom do you say that I am? And Peter answering them said unto him, Thou art the Christ. We have Mark fourteen sixty two, And Jesus said, I am, and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. A prophecy that yet is to be fulfilled. We come next to, um, to John, and bef- before we get into John, I would like to say a few things about John. You know, John, the Bible records that John himself said that John, I, John, and one of the disciples that Jesus loved, at first blush, that sounds a little arrogant, doesn't it? But when you dig into the Greek, when you dig into the Greek, you know what it says? It says these words in translation. John was a disciple that Jesus kept on loving. John was a disciple that Jesus kept on loving. You remember that one day, John and his brother's mother came to Jesus and said, Now Jesus, when you set up your kingdom to come soon, I, you know, my boys are, well, they're, they're special, Jesus. You should recognize they're special. I'm paraphrasing here, of course. John, uh, Jesus, I'd like one of them to sit on your left hand and one to sit on your right hand. Um, she wasn't bashful at all. In one place in Scripture, God, it says, is no respecter of persons. The answer to the question of how and why John could write this about himself as we've said, is that Jesus kept on loving this son of thunder, this explosive disorder young boy. You know, when that teenage boy got up that morning, went down to the fishing boat on Lake Galilee, and saw this man coming, and he simply said, follow me. Isn't it amazing? There was something about the attraction that we can't even put into words. John just left his fishing boat and followed Jesus. At that point, John had no idea that it was to transform his life. No idea that he would be, that Jesus knew. He had no idea that he would write the book of John that we're going to read about today. He had no idea he was going to write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he had no idea that he was privileged to write Revelation to wind up the 
the canon. Jesus knew all those things. John had no idea. And John had no idea that one day his name would be emblazoned on the foundation stone of the New Jerusalem either. And then one day in Samaria, when Jesus was the woman at the well, John was so incensed that he said, Jesus, I think he used the word that Moses used, should we bring water out of this rock? John says, should we bring fire down from heaven and burn up these miserable Samaritans? Um, Jesus, in essence, said back to John, no, John, I did not come to bring up burn up the miserable Samaritans. I came to save them. So let's get into the book of John. John 4, 26. Jesus said unto her, I that speak unto thee am he, telling the woman at the well the great I am story. John 5, 43. I am come in my Father's name, and ye receive me not. John six thirty five. I am the bread of life, he that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth in me shall never thirst. This phrase, I am the bread of life, has deep meaning in so many ways. Out in the desert, the children of Israel, a million strong, were hungry. And the bread of life from heaven floated down manna from heaven on the ground to feed a million people. Have you thought of that? Feeding a million people? You women who have prepared Thanksgiving dinner for 20 people? How about a million people? God says, I am the bread of life. Um, in verse 641, I am the bread which came down from heaven. Again, verse 648, I am the bread of life. 651, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. What a beautiful invitation of Jesus. And the bread that I will give in my, is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. John seven twenty nine, For I am from him, and he hath sent me, referring to his Father. Eight twelve. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. You know, all you have to do in a dark room is turn on the light, and the darkness is gone. John eight twenty three and 24, I am from above, ye are of this world. I am not of this world. John eight fifty eight. Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am, infuriating the Pharisees, who then set about to kill him even more. John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. John 10, 9, I am the door. You know, there's a famous painting in Europe in a museum there. The artist spent a long time on this huge painting. He painted Jesus knocking at a door of a home in a villa. When he was all finished, some of his friends said, well, you forgot one thing in the painting. There's no doorknob on the door. The artist said, oh yes, I didn't forget. The only knob is on the inside of the door for somebody to open to me. John 10:11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. John 10:14, 
I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and I am known of mine. John 10.36 I am the Son of God. John 11.25 Jesus saith unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. We come down to John 14.3 If I go to prayer a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. John 14.6 Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Jesus gets more practical on 15.1 I am the true vine. Following it says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. Just a short story to illustrate what the great I am can do in a person's heart. Joe had had a hard life. He grew up in a troubled environment. He became an alcoholic. He struggled with this for years. And finally, many years later, he decided that he had had enough of this miserable life. And one night, with alcohol-laden breath, blurry eyes, and somewhat confused, he stumbled into a mission in a big city in the United States. He was treated kindly there. And over a course of time, a traveling preacher came to the city and actually stopped in the mission to give a series of meetings. Joe went to every one of them. He had now been free of alcohol for many, many months. His mind was clear. He heard about a cross on Calvary's hill, and he heard about a Savior of all mankind. He couldn't believe his ears. It was too good to be true. The man on the cross would forgive everything he had ever done, what was wrong, and would accept him just as he was? The last night of the meetings, his heart was broken. He gave himself fully to that God on Calvary's hill. Joe did not have much education. He was such a delight around the mission that they decided to keep him on, for it was he was volunteering now. So with his newfound faith, he went about the facility encouraging the new people who came, helping them with their problems, cleaning up after them. And he became an indispensable part of the rehabilitation team. He was a changed man. It seemed that the light from this newfound Savior shone forth from him to everybody he met. Late one night, a fellow named Jim stumbled in the facility, just as Joe had done a few years before. Jim likewise had a hard life, and he'd become an alcoholic. His life was ruined. He had lost his family. So he stumbled in the door and was welcomed by the staff and taken in and given a bed for the night and some warm food. Joe was the first one that Jim met. Joe saw himself in this man and took him under his wing and did everything to help him and encourage him. Jim could not believe the kindness that seemed to come forth from Joe. A few nights later, this same traveling preacher came to town in this big city and stepped or stopped by to have a few more meetings at this rehabilitation center. Joe was there that night along with with Jim, the newest member. Halfway through the service, the preacher talked about Calvary, talked about the cross, talking about a Savior, 
talking about salvation, Jim suddenly jumped to his feet, running down the aisle towards the head of the auditorium. I want to be like Joe. I want to be like Joe, he said. I want to be like Joe. He interrupted the entire meeting, loudly proclaiming, I want to be like Joe. When he got down to the front, the minister bent over and said to Jim, I think you should say you want to be like Jesus. And through his tear-filled eyes, he looked up at the preacher on the platform and he said, is this man Jesus you're talking about? Is he like Joe? That's what the great I am does in the heart of people when they really meet him and learn to know him. We have John 18, 8. Jesus answered and said to Pilate, I am he. 1837, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Sayest, Thou sayest that I am king. In that verbiage, in that time, when you answered that kind of a question with those words, you were confirming that yes, what you have said is a fact. Jesus just repeated what Pilate had said, I am a king. 2017, Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but I go to my brethren and but go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. We move to Acts seven thirty two. I am the God of thy fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Acts nine five, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. Stephen, 18.10, For I am with thee, and no man shall set on thee to hurt thee. And he said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. These words came down to Paul from the heavens. Acts 26.15, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, the great I am again. We're rapidly moving towards Revelation. Remember, there's 499 of these I am's in the Bible at least, and there's probably some we've missed. 499 of them. We just have time to barely touch and scratch the surface. But we come to the great book of Revelation 1.8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, which is to come, the Almighty. Revelation 1.11 saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and what thou seest, write in a book and send it. Revelation 1, 17 to 18. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not. Remember, here's this teenage boy, now white-haired, receiving this vision. In the Isle of Patmos. Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of hell and of death. Reminds me of the words of Paul. O death, where is thy victory? Where is thy sting? Further down, and I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts. 
Revelation 21, 6. And he said unto me, It is done. I am Alpha, the beginning and the end. And I will give unto him that is the thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. I am Alpha and Omega, Jesus says. Verse 22, 13 again. This must be important, for Jesus repeats it over and over again. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Then verse 22, 16, Revelation twenty-two, sixteen. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come. As our world crumbles around us, in closing, we have these words. Jesus said it would crumble, Matthew 24, 6. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. Be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes. And all these things are the beginning of sorrows. Daddy, are we afraid? No, my son. We're not afraid. This is the picture just before Jesus comes in the clouds of heaven. This is why the little boy's question is so vital for us today. Are we afraid? The great I am gives us the answer to all our longings and all our fears. God has the answer. He has the last word. He's promised us that he's coming again, and he's coming again soon. So you and I should ask the question this morning, perhaps, and ask our own Father in heaven, Are we afraid, Father? And the Father And his son will answer us, No, my son, my daughter, we are not afraid. For you see, that Friday afternoon, that dark afternoon, I died on the cross for you. And then I rested. But I rose again. Three days later, Gabriel came down and rolled away the stone. And my father called me and I came forth. And I'm, I then, a few days later, I rose and went up to heaven to the universe central, up to the throne room of the universe where my father resides, and I joined him there. And I'm now interceding for everyone who's alive. And I'm coming back soon to take you home. No, you don't have to be afraid anymore. Amen and amen.
Oh Lord, may we learn to know the great I am as a personal Savior. May we learn to know him so that we will want to spend eternity with him in that golden shore above. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.